Welcome to The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. Here we discuss all things curriculum, plus leadership issues, teaching tips and much, much more. Hello and welcome to The Curriculum. I'm Caroline Pudner, Curriculum Consultant, and today I'm joined by Melanie Moore, who is the creative director and the author of the Cornerstones curriculum. Hello, Mel. Hi, Caroline. Now, today we're going to go to the heart of what we do here at Cornerstones, uh, which is our curriculum. And in this podcast, we're going to be discussing what it is, what's included, and also how and why it was created in the first place. Now, you, the listener, may have heard of Cornerstones from a school, or maybe you've already had Cornerstones in your school and are just implementing it now. So hopefully you'll find what we talk about useful. Okay, so Mel and I have actually swapped roles for this podcast. Uh, it's Mel is usually the host. But of course, she is obviously the best person to ask all these questions about the curriculums. So Mel, first question, I'd love to know where it all began and how on earth you came up with the idea of creating a complete primary curriculum. Well, I think the journey began about 15 years ago now. Um, At the time, I was creativity advisor for a local authority. And I was in the privileged position of being able to go on a study visit to the Reggio Emilia province in northern Italy. Um, And the purpose of the visit was to look at um, creativity in the early years with the hope of bringing that back uh, to the city that I was working at the time and to look for ways of implementing some of the aspects of that practice Mm. into our early years settings. And the visit was, was just an inspiration to me. I, I saw things that I'd never really seen before in education. There were these very young children, some of them babies, toddlers, up to the age of five, just doing a, a, amazing amazing creative learning um, using their rich environment working alongside artists in fabulous settings and it was just such an inspiration that I really felt that it was something that we could look to include more in key stages one and two because the Mm. frustration was that when those children get to the end of their early years For example, the Italian education system becomes quite formal and it seemed to me such a shame Mm. that that all that wonderful early years practice sort of evaporated almost. But in saying that it was truly wonderful, and it was, I could also see that there were elements of that practice that wouldn't work practically in England in key stages one and two. And that's perhaps why they hadn't, you know, continued the practice into Mm. primary school in Italy Mm. also. So my thinking was around, well, let's have a look at the best of that practice and let's think of a way that we can take that and include that in key stages one and two. So it was really about identifying the principles that I found really inspiring and trying to find a way of creating something that was practical that teachers could use whilst it not being too unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. And as as it happened, probably about six months after that visit, the local authority were looking for voluntary redundancies. I was coming up to a landmark birthday and I thought, well, this is the time to take a leap of faith and um, set up on my own and write something that would do the things that I've just described. And that's... Uh... 
no mean feat because, uh, you know, having to transfer what you found into key stage one and key stage two, as you were saying, it's working within the constraints of the way those children, that, that, that age range works. So how did you, I'm just interested, how did you make sure those core principles that really affected you and you really carried with you from your visit, how did you then put them into place in, in, in this curriculum that you were creating? Um, well, I'd had been at an advantage really in being a creativity advisor and I'd been working with lots mm-hmm. of schools um, looking at how they could make their curriculums more creative. At the time, and maybe you don't remember this, but it was sort of the tail end of the literacy and numeracy strategies (laughs) coming off the back of QCA schemes of work. Mm, And so mm. schools had gone through a long period of almost having to teach by numbers, in fact, and there was this heavy emphasis on literacy Mm, and numeracy. mm. And it was just at the turning point where schools were crying out for something else Mm. and and schools were looking to add Mm. that creativity and that spark back into teaching and learning. So talk about a perfect storm it it was a mix of everything coming together and I suppose really what I had to do as I said is sort of distill some of the main principles and start building a curriculum and a framework around that using what I'd seen in Italy using my experience of working with schools Mm -hmm. and also you know I've been a a deputy head teacher curriculum lead in lots of different schools Mm -hmm. and had been responsible for writing lots of different curricula so it was about bringing all of all of that together together. and in terms of the principles then that you talk about are there a a set number of them I mean can you pick your top few principles behind the the curriculum for anyone who's listening who you know who's new to cornerstones or hasn't heard about it I think the main one that I, I have sort of in my heart and the one that I still try to abide by is that childhood matters. Mm. And that's what I saw in those settings in Italy. It was all about the child. And I think those of us who play any part in educating children have obviously the responsibility to get it right. We have to remember that children only have one childhood Mm. uh, and we can't miss opportunities. We can't afford to waste Mm. it. We can't afford to push children into becoming young adults before they're ready. So if I keep in my heart the principle that childhood matters, then I say to myself, you know, children deserve a childhood which is rich, which is nurturing, which values what they are intrinsically so Mm. that they are curious little beings they are inquisitive they are fun they are interested they are natural learners they're Mm. little sponges that soak up soak up knowledge Mm. I know that's sort of a a long-winded there's no bullet point there but that's from the heart and then from that I think you can distill sort of smaller principles of you know the curriculum must promote creativity it much must nurture curiosity mm. um, it must make the most of the environment and, mm. the, and children's mm. world around them it must allow uh, children to express themselves yeah. um, it must build their confidence it must be fun and inspiring and exciting mm. and all of those things form you know my very personal yeah. belief of what a curriculum should be and actually for the listeners as well on our website mel's written a fantastic blog all about curriculum principles so if even if you're not using cornerstones you can set up uh, and you're set, trying to design your own curriculum you can have a look at principles there okay so with those principles then mel what was the next step for you after that 
I think the next step for me was to almost create a, a pedagogy on which I could build the content. Mm. Um, I think it's really important that schools establish their pedagogic approach before building and designing a curriculum because that's the thing that gives you the underpinning principles, the, the, the fundamental beliefs and values. And it was the same for me. I, you know, I, I tried to put everything that I'd learned into a simple pedagogy that any school could adopt. And, you know, I used my own experience, what I'd seen in Reggio Emilia. And I also looked to the research and work of other very inspirational people, the likes of uh, Professor Mick Waters, Sir Ken Robinson, Mihail Csikszentmihalyi, who does all the work around flow and optimum states mm. of learning. And of course, Loris Malaguzzi from the Reggio Emilia approach. And really, it was just about working through what I knew worked well with children in terms of teaching and learning and trying to put that into the most simple of forms possible. And that's where we came up with the notion of the four cornerstones. So very, very, very simplistic form. All learning, you know, begins when you get the interests of the child. So thinking about ways of hooking them in, setting the scene, building the context. The develop stage was all about, you know, really focused work, developing subject knowledge, learning new skills and being able to practice them making sense of questions, research, you know, being able to study something in greater depth. The Innovate stage was particularly um, based on the work of Mihal Csikszentmihalyi, which is about when you've got the right knowledge and you've got enjoyment and you feel confident that you're able to work more independently and solve problems. That's what you would hope children would be in that position mm. when they've gone through the first two stages. And the final stage was... Really a little nod to um, the Reggio Emilia approach, which is the 100 languages. Reggio have this, uh, it's almost like a, a poem, which says that children have 100 languages, which is 100 ways of expressing themselves. So a child might like to express themselves in music, through dance, by song, by art, by speaking. And the express stage was really about expression of right. learning yeah. and also reflection mm. of learning. Fantastic. That's, that, yeah. that was, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I think you really have. You've done what I've I've often tried to do. If people say what is cornerstones, they know I, I work here. And I can't explain it in that way. So I thank you so much, Mel, for explaining the four cornerstones. I will say as well, um, one of my colleagues has just done some fabulous work on putting together a little animation which shows you the, the pedagogy, again, mm. in a really lovely animated form. So I think we put a, we'll put probably put a link maybe yeah, to yeah, that definitely. in the finished episode. And that might be a nice one to show. If you're a head teacher listening, you could share that with your curriculum staff or your, your other teachers. Okay, so the four cornerstones, the pedagogy is in place. So what did you do with that and how did you build on that? So the next step is to think about the content that you need to have in the curriculum. I, the way I um, started was I thought about, brainstormed just lots of themes and topics, both topics that I knew were in the national curriculum, but also things that I thought children might like to learn, mm. not knowing whether it was in the national curriculum or not. So I, I just started by throwing out lots of different names of mm. topics. And and then from that, I then went and mapped that back to the national curriculum and started building projects because I'd seen a project a, approach to learning in ratio. So I knew that was the way that I wanted to go. Mm. 
and and just gradually built it up from there so I looked at the subject content um, I matched that into themes I made sure that there was good subject coverage in each of the individual projects mm-hmm. as they grew um, I made sure that I was um, mapping links between different aspects of learning so that children could build those bridges in their brains and start mm. to make connections. And basically it was a long and slow process of, of, of doing that. And then there's also, you know, other things um, linked to the pedagogy. So I was thinking about, okay, so what would make a brilliant, memorable experience to to launch this project? I had to think about when they got to the innovate stage, what scenario can I put into this project that makes sense of all the other learning that's gone before it? Because those activities have to also give children opportunities to work independently, work imaginatively. So, like I say, just quite a slow process of gradually building up the content. So you mentioned, Mel, that that was a a long process. How many projects then did you create? I think there's over 80 in in total in this version of the curriculum. Mm. And I mean, there's lots of reasons why there are so many. One is because there is also a lot of content in the national curriculum. The other is, like I said, there is some content in there that isn't um, required by the national curriculum, but I thought it was of value and was worth putting into that rich menu of learning. And some of it needed to allow schools to be flexible and needed to allow schools to pick and choose because what I didn't want to do is have a one-size-all curriculum oh, right. which yeah. teach which schools would take off the shelf and school X would be teaching exactly the same projects mm. in exactly the same way as school Y. Mm. So the, the purpose of having that breadth of, of project mm. is that schools can pick and choose and tailor their choice of projects either to their context or their school vision or their school location really it was about enabling every school to use what I'd given them to design something which would then become bespoke yeah so there are I think there are nine projects aren't they per year group yeah that's right so you do uh say one project over roughly a half term you've you've got three to play with if you like so that's one way in which it can be made bespoke or or schools can leave them out yeah I mean the beauty the beauty is and this wasn't my idea that um and I wouldn't have had the technical capabilities (laughs) to do this but somebody very clever here created what we call the coverage checker Mm. so that helps schools to design a bespoke curriculum because what it does if you you choose your six projects or three projects or however many projects you want to do in the year you would simply enter those into the coverage checker and that would give you a reading of your national curriculum coverage whether there were any significant gaps in learning and then schools can begin to make choices about whether they miss that because that's something they don't believe is important to their school or that they would cover that through subject direct teaching or other things things, yeah yeah. other discrete things that they were doing Okay, so looking in more detail then at the structure of Cornerstones, there's an awful lot at the moment about coherence in curriculum structure, Mel. So what uh, what can you tell the listeners about that uh, in terms of Cornerstones? Okay, so there's, there's a lot to say about 
coherence and how that works um, in cornerstones. And I wouldn't attempt to say all of it here in this podcast. Um, and, I, and I do know that you've you've written a blog on um, coherence in the curriculum anyway. So mm. we could maybe signpost people to yeah, that I'll put also. But I think it's important, first of all, to just say that obviously the curriculum is in, in part built around the national curriculum and that itself gives it coherence. Mm. But then there are other things also that make that make it coherent. So one example would be that uh, the projects themselves are organised into almost like themed groups. So, for example, one category is me and my world. Another category would be ancient and historical worlds, creative world, physical world, natural world. And within each of those themes are sometimes up to five or six projects from right across the age range. And what that does is it gives schools opportunities to revisit themes and concepts in that wider context. So, for example, um, a school would be able to study a project like muck, mess and mixtures in year two. And then they might come to another arts project in year three, four. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> I can't. Um, but in year five, six, it's it gallery, gallery rebels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, ac- across the whole school and across the children's curriculum journey, they will revisit mm. particular themes. So that gives an element of coherence. Then there are other things like the fact that the whole curriculum is underpinned by a progressive and cohesive skills framework. So every lesson in the curriculum is matched to an age-related expectation, Mm. which again builds and builds and builds right throughout the children's journey, whichever projects you choose. And we're currently just developing knowledge maps as well. So very soon not only will we have the skills framework but we'll also have the knowledge framework which will give another dimension of coherence across the curriculum and then there's other things like the subject maps and how you know we looked very closely at how a particular subject let's say geography is developed right from the early years up to year six and you can map that well I should say we've we've mapped that and for example a subject leader can look at how an aspect of geography such as field work develops year group to year group and year group. So there's so much, so many sort of layers of coherence that run throughout the curriculum. So does, does that, I mean, yeah. there's, there's lots more I could say, but I, but I think it's worth visiting the blog and reading that too. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just have to say from my own experience of teaching Cornerstones um, when I was in primary school, I felt that having resources in place alongside the curriculum like like we do here it really helped me because I knew that when I was teaching year five those resources had been written specifically for those projects and there was the right level of challenge and obviously that is coherence as well because it coherently gets more more and more challenge more text and you know that's throughout the school as well so the resources play a part in that don't they they do and I mean I'm glad you've said that because that's some recognition for fabulous team that are working on resources now because of course I'm not a one-man band anymore there's you know there's a team here Mm. and you know they're all teachers many of them have taught cornerstones and their expertise now is really helping to enrich the curriculum further with their experience and their knowledge and their subject uh, specialisms Mm. so 
it is becoming a much bigger thing um, yeah. the curriculum yeah. and now you know many many more resources to support teachers in yeah. delivering it too I think we did a count I mean there's about 30 to 40 resources per project so you know teachers have that at their fingertips they could obviously use or not use or edit but you know they're there yeah um, and, I, and I think it's worth saying also that you know the team are really responsive now so if if teachers are really want something specific or if they have a good idea you know they can email us and quite often you know the team are creating things in response to mm. requests as well so mm. and that will all that will only get bigger and better yeah. you know the, the, the more time we have yeah that's a, that's a never-ending sort <laughs> of improvement yeah and I mean you mentioned teachers and we know just from looking at Twitter and from the feedback we get from our schools team going out and meeting all these amazingly hard-working teams of senior leaders and teachers and you've gone into school as well haven't you Mel and have seen the impact firsthand so what what yeah. are you finding what do you what do you see when you go? Well, um, I was in two schools last week, two very different schools, one in a city school in Rochdale, one more rural school in uh, a village in Lincolnshire. And to be quite honest with you, I'm blown away when I go into a school and I see, you know, cornerstones, topics on the wall. I see children doing activities from the projects and the ILPs. I talk to teachers, you know, and they they burst in to tell me about the latest project that they're doing or something that they loved or that the children loved. And, you know, I'm I'm a bit lost for words, really. Um, And I feel very um, humbled by it because, you know, they've taken something that sort of a tiny little seed of something that I created and they've brought it to life in the most wonderful of ways. And... You know, it does, it does make, you can tell now, it does know, make me quite yeah, speechless. Yeah. And, you know, I often say to people when I'm going around the school, you know, I might get a bit teary and I quite often do yeah. um, because I am so moved mm. um, because, you know, at the end of the day, I am seeing children doing things uh, that, you know, I can remember writing and now I'm actually seeing children in classrooms doing those things and enjoying those things and I can see you know beautiful examples of the work on walls and last week when I was in a school I should have brought it in with me actually when I went to the it was Spilsby Primary in Lincolnshire a group of girls gave me um, some letters and it was to Mrs Cornerstones (laughs) Um, and they were all variations on the theme of I love cornerstones because and one of them said I love cornerstones um, because of all the visits I've been on it has you know has taught me so much and another one said that that they like it because it's it challenges them and that's just a you know just who who would have imagined you know Mm. 15 years ago you know when I started on the journey that that would happen and that's where where you started the podcast you were saying it was all about childhood it's all about the children then to hear the children enthused and innovating and doing all the things that you had in those original principles actually come to fruition it must be incredible and obviously that then translates from my experience as a teacher if my children were engaged and active learners it made my life so much easier and I was then enthused by it as well the the fact that teachers trust cornerstones is not lost on me it, it, it is very humbling that a school would take the curriculum and trust that mm. it's going to make a difference and that it's right mm. for them mm. is, you know, really so valuable. 
Yeah, and they're not just trusting it. I think I've seen as well certain schools being really flexible with it and joining up themes. I think in one school you went to recent, was it Spilsbury actually, where they kind of combine two projects they're being really innovative they are with being the that's the thing and, and and then if you go to a school like Farmerlow primary mm. it's almost unrecognizable from mm. the point that they started because you know they're so creative they had all of the ideas yes they started with mm. the cornerstones curriculum but now it's a completely different entity entirely <laughs> yeah. and that's quite right that's how it should be mm. And that's the ultimate destination is, you know, schools take the seed and then they grow it yeah. in so many different ways. Mm. Um, and, and that's fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, you know, what does that look like in different schools? There's places you can look. You can look on our website. We've got case studies. You can read them. And also, if you follow us on Twitter, uh, we're always posting wonderful things from schools using the Cornerstones curriculum and uh, many of them in different ways. So just to, you know, sort of uh, mention what, what Mel's just explained there. So and I probably know the answer, and uh, but I'm going to ask you anyway. But how does it feel then for you to know that I think at the last count there's over 600,000 children using the Cornerstones curriculum? Wow, that's, that's a big number. Well, like I said, it just feels very humbling. But, you know, it, I have to say it's not just me now. There is, there's a team of fabulous people here. And really what it comes down to is the, the teachers that are there in the classrooms making the curriculum come to life. And then ultimately, it's about every single child that's mm. being given these rich and creative, exciting opportunities. And, you know, I feel very satisfied, very content, very happy that I've been able to play a very tiny part in part of their childhood. Mm, that's wonderful. And, you know, it's the passion that you've put into it really shows, Mel. And I think as well that not to forget to mention the impact on learning that this is having in schools. And I don't just say this lightly. We're saying this from evidence that schools mm. are giving us and also mm. conversations with Ofsted. You can obviously, again, on our website read, you know, there's, there's quotes from Ofsted reports from different schools. So that kind of gives that weight behind it as well in terms of the actual learning impact yeah, it's mean, having as well. That's true. We, I mean, you know, we're eulogising about it, but we're not just paying lip service to this. We are actively seeking case studies. You know, we, we do look at Ofsted reports. We talk to teachers, senior leaders. Mm. We look at examples of children's work. We're very conscious that the curriculum can be wonderful, but it does need to have an impact and it needs to mm. make a difference. And that's also about the schools knowing what works well for them mm. and implementing it in the way that is right yeah. for them and, and being good at that. Yeah, and obviously we've got those tools, like Mel was saying earlier about the coverage checker but we've also got developmental skills there's a whole raft of assessment tools that you can use with this to actually track children's progress so it's you know it's very clear when a child comes in nursery and leaves at year six that they've been on a coherent sort of progression of their learning that's right so we're we're almost at the end of a podcast Mel and we've covered an awful lot today but I just want to ask you whether you've got any future plans because of course obviously it's <laughs> of course I have <laughs> not resting on your laurels no, no never ever no I think you know you can always get better and you can always do more 
you know, and I, a lot of people tell you, I say good is not good enough, which sometimes doesn't go mm. down very well. But I always like to think of us on a sort of an improvement trajectory. Uh, we never stand still. So, um, you know, we've currently just put together a teacher consultation group, which one of the curriculum manager um, will be talking to that group very soon about planning and resources and mm. things that they might want and need in the future. We are currently looking to improve the structure of the hub and hopefully in 12 months time we'll also I should put a little rider on that there'll be a you know a, a new and improved version of the hub I'm currently setting about writing a whole raft of new projects mm. and you know the the everyday improvement and constant you know generation of new materials and support for schools it's ongoing it mm. it, it, it never ends and no. schools inspire us as well so schools will come with an idea or a suggestion yeah, and yeah. you know sometimes it's nice to to build on those ideas too because yeah, they're actually you know they're teaching it they're That's right. using it and uh, yeah it's very much a community isn't it well, thank you so much, Mel. You're You've very covered... welcome. <laughs> I feel <laughs> sufficiently grilled. No, well, I think, you know, you really talked from the heart and you've given us all an insight into where it all began. And, you know, for you, the listener, if you'd like to find out a bit more about the Cornerstones curriculum and the other work we do here, then please do visit our website. Here you'll find case studies, Ofsted responses, videos and free downloads as well. And of course, if you'd like to discuss how the curriculum can work in your school, do book a free online demo for your school or simply just ring our schools team here. And yeah, if you've got any questions about the curriculum or anything that we've talked about today in this podcast, then do leave us a comment at the end or below the podcast. Uh, we very much welcome all your comments and suggestions. And we'll be putting a list of frequently asked questions and answers on the blog that accompanies this podcast, which is available on the website. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to these podcasts so you don't miss a single one. And we've got some great topics lined up for you. And you can always suggest a topic by writing a comment below as before or drop us an email. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye.